celebrated according to chapter 6, verse 16, with great joy. And shortly after this, they celebrated the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The focus of our study this morning is going to be the celebration of those feasts and then the symbolism of that for us this morning. In God's great and good sovereignty, we're led right to this passage in chapter 6. Let's look at it and read verse 19. On the 14th day, so this is Ezra 6, 19, on the 14th day of the first month, the returned exiles kept the Passover. For the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together. All of them were clean. So they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles, for their fellow priests, and for themselves. It was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile, and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Two reasons why I think God's sovereignty has led us to the passage. I don't, I don't lay out the messages months ahead of time. I just take the passage as they come and whatever the Lord deems for us that day. But here we are right in this section. This is where we left off, and yet it fits our church life so well right now for a couple of reasons. First, our Sunday school series. The American Gospel video has demonstrated the vitriol that the so-called religious teachers have against the gospel, and specifically the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. Even this morning, we saw the, the scoffing and the mocking of this idea. Isn't it um, interesting that even though we believe that God required the death of a substitute in the place of guilty sinners, there are many who attack this doctrine, and of course it's led by the devil himself, who, who wants us all to kind of abandon that theme. Secondly, it is the first Sunday of the month, and we're here to celebrate the Lord's Supper today, and it's providential to come to this passage. The Passover is a beautiful shadow of Christ's substitutionary death for us, so it's a joy that all these things have come together and aligned for us this morning. The Passover, verse number 19, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, verse number 22, are two separate festivals that have really morphed into one. The Passover is a feast which no other Old Testament feast can uh, overshadow the substitutionary death of Christ like this one. And then the Feast of Unleavened Bread, though it is unfamiliar to us, is a call to a standard of living a holy life. So, let's look back to Exodus chapter 12 and find the origin of this feast and read a little bit about it before we uh, discover the Christian symbolism uh, for us today. So Exodus chapter 12 verses 1 to 28 gives us the background of when God initiated this festival and under what circumstances. If you know anything, and I'm sure you do, of the history of the Jewish people, uh, Exodus chapter 12 is uh, being given uh, at the end of the plague judgments that God pronounced and brought forth on the people of Israel. Because of uh, the hardness of Pharaoh's heart and the enslavement of the people of Israel for over 400 years, uh, God began to send these plagues to try to, uh, not to try, but in his sovereignty to loosen the grip that Pharaoh had on the people and to provide a way of escape for his his, uh, his people. 
Look at Exodus chapter 12 and let's read a good long section of this here as we think about the Passover. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lentil of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Now here's the switch to the unleavened bread festival. Verse 15, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of this land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. So Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this as right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Last verse. Then the people of Israel went and did so. And as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. 
Pretty incredible passage. And of course, we know how this works out. This is the tenth plague, the judgment on the firstborn. And those who did not have the blood on the doorposts were, uh, had their firstborn in that family uh, struck down and killed by the angel of death. Those who did have the doorposts covered with blood, as we read in one of those verses right in the middle, when he sees the blood, he will pass over that home. And he did. The Lord's instructions to Moses that we just read are that a lamb would serve as the substitute for each household. Did you catch that? Everyone in that household, that lamb would die as a sacrifice and the judgment of God would be passed over because of the death of the lamb. And you can see how this prefigures, of course, the substitutionary death, death of Christ on the cross for us. The lamb had to be an unblemished male or could be a goat. It could be anywhere from a few weeks old up to one year. Leviticus 17.11 tells us the blood carries the significance because the blood of that animal would be spilled for the blood of the one who it was substituting for. And life would then be granted to the substitute in place of the death of the lamb. This is, of course, a great picture of the blood of Christ. And there's three specific New Testament verses I will draw your attention to, not to turn there, but maybe for you to jot down for your study this afternoon and your edification. John 1.29, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and says, Look, it's the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. In Revelation 5, verse 6, it tells us that in, the heaven, in heaven's throne room, it looks as if there was a Lamb, as if it had been slain. And then finally, one that really symbolizes the Passover ceremony, 1 Peter 1 verses 15 to 19, talks about our redemption being provided not in silver or gold or perishable things, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish. Only, only a spiritually blind person, right, cannot see the correlation between the Passover lamb and the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross. The unblemished one dying in the place of the blemished ones. According to Josephus, and even according to this uh, passage, verse number 6 of chapter 12, it tells us that the death of those lambs were to take place at twilight, or around 3 p.m., believe it or not. It is the same time that Jesus, according to the New Testament, died. After the lambs were killed, and we're going to talk about this even more, the lambs were sacrificed and then taken home to be roasted whole. They were not to be cut up or separated. During the meal, it was customary for everyone to recline on pillows and eat the meal on the floor, which was symbolic of a free person. It was the servants who stood during the meal. The Bible, according to Exodus 12, 46, I don't think we got to that section, says you could not break the bones of the Passover lamb, not even in the eating of it. Pretty astonishing symbolism. Now, let's talk about the three main components of the Passover supper. As the Passover continued, more elements were added, but in this particular passage, there were three main elements. Now, uh, small service today, so let's pretend it's a Bible study. What were the three main elements? And then I'll explain a little more. Take the easiest one first, if you want. Just call it out to me. What were the three main elements at the Passover supper? Okay, you had the unleavened bread? Talking aside from the lamb. Aside from the lamb, you had the unleavened bread, then you had the... The bitter herbs, and then you had something to drink. The wine. So let's talk about all three of those. 
Aside from the lamb, let's talk about the three other elements. The, the, the wine was always red. Four times during the service, the cups were filled and a blessing was pronounced. Four times they refilled the glasses with wine and pronounced a blessing. Turn six chapters back to Exodus chapter 6. What is the significance of the four drinks? And I want us to think about this because, and keep these things in mind as we continue through the teaching because as we look at the Lord's Supper, we're going to see some very, uh, very clear correlations. In Exodus 6, verses 6 and 7, the four cups that are filled during the Passover meal represent the redemption of Israel and the four ways that God himself described it. Look at Exodus 6. I'll point these out to you. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. Number one, and I will bring you out from under the bondage of the Egyptians. Now think of the Passover supper. The cup is filled. I'm going to walk you right through the Passover supper in a minute. But the cup is filled, and the first act, or the first statement of God's redemption is celebrated. I will bring you out of bondage. And, number two, I will deliver you from slavery. Second cup is filled. Third, I will redeem you. The third cup is filled with an outstretched arm with great acts of judgment. And then finally, I will take you to be my people. And the fourth cup is filled and drunk and a blessing is pronounced. I will bring you out from your bondage, deliver you from slavery, redeem you with an outstretched arm, and take you to be my people. Each time the cup was filled during the Passover meal, and of course you, re- you know this, but just to say this, so we all are on the same page, as the Passover was celebrated that first night, the blood was put on the doorposts. That's the only time that happened. They didn't do that every, every Passover meal. They didn't uh, they killed the lambs, of course, in the temple, and the priests filled the uh, blood of, with basins and threw it on the altar. The priests were dressed in red robes so that if blood spilled on them, it wouldn't be noticeable. Actually, the temple walkway and the altar were whitewashed right beforehand, so it would be a brilliant scene, and then all that blood would be poured out. They would take their lambs home and have the meal. They did not do the doorpost. That was only the first Passover. The, the other times were a memorial. Second, we have the bitter herbs which of course represent a symbol of their bondage in Egypt. Uh, I read a little book this week on the Feast of Israel, and this uh, writer uh, suggests that the herb was horseradish in part, uh, because horseradish uh, used would make their eyes water even as they ate it, and would bring tears to their faces as they were eating these bitter herbs. Could be. I'm not sure. That's not what Scripture tells us, but uh, this person studied that and and thought that could be the case. And the third element, and others were added, and I could share some of those with you, but I think it would just distract us from the main thought, is the unleavened bread, which was a reminder of the bread they ate in haste the night they left Egypt. Unleavened bread is simply a bread that is not fermented or has no yeast added to it, so it would not rise, and uh, they would eat this bread, and and it kind of ties into the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which I'll describe in a minute too. The Passover served as a memorial. What was it they were remembering? Of course, it's the story of that first Passover when lambs were killed, as we just read in Exodus chapter 12, and blood was painted on the doorposts. During the meal, the Exodus story would be recounted through the questions of the youngest child at the table. If you're the youngest child in your family, you would be the one responsible to ask the questions. There were four of them. At least, there may have been more. 
Question number one is one you've probably heard before. The child would ask, why is this night so different from all other nights? And the answer would come from the adults in the room. Question number two, on all other nights, we may eat leavened or unleavened bread. Why tonight do we only eat unleavened bread? And the answer would be because they were recalling the haste which which their forefathers left Egypt. Third, on all other nights, we may eat any spice we want. Why on this night do we only eat bitter herbs? And question four, on all other nights, we eat and drink, either sitting or reclining. Why on this night does everyone recline? This Passover supper and Passover meal would last a long time and was including these questions that were asked by the child. Here's how the Passover meal went. This is really interesting. Please try to keep these things in mind as we move forward. The lady of the house would welcome her guests, light the candles, and bless the evening. They would all gather at the table, and the first cup of wine would be poured. Remember that it would correlate to those four statements in Exodus 6, and a blessing was pronounced. Imagine if we were meeting at the table, the wine glasses would be filled, we would all drink, and either the, the man of the house or someone appointed would remind us of the Exodus 6 passage and say something to the effect like God has brought us out of our bondage. And they would celebrate that. It is at that point that unleavened crackers were broken and placed into a pouch. I don't want to get too much into the details. Placed into a pouch. One was actually hidden in the house later for children to find, but the bread was broken at that time. And this is when the question and answers would begin from the child. And the Passover narrative would be recounted. In fact, when they got to the place where there were the ten plagues were recounted, so you imagine they're telling all these stories, man, our fam- why on this night is different than another night? Well, let me tell you, you know, when, we were, when our forefathers were in Egypt, God sent these ten plagues. And as they went through the ten plagues, everyone would dip their finger into their goblet and put a drop of that drink onto their plate to symbolize the ten plagues. At that point, they sang some of the songs of the Hillel. Psalm 113 and 114 were spoken, and then the second cup of wine was drank, and the second pronouncement of blessing from Exodus 6 I will deliver you from slavery. Then what is known as a Hillel sandwich was made. Herbs between two pieces of unleavened bread were put together and eaten as a Hillel sandwich. And then a prayer of thanks was given, at which point the third cup of wine, or excuse me, uh, right after the Hillel sandwich was the festive meal. And this was a sumptuous celebratory thing. They're having the lamb, they're eating the bitter herbs, they're, they're, they're enjoying a festival, a, a meal together. They give thanks, and after the meal, they take the third cup of wine. The third blessing is pronounced. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. At which point, someone tells one of the children to go to the door and see if Elijah is coming. Elijah, of course, was predicted as being... The, the prophet who would foretell the coming of Christ, or one like Elijah. You remember reading that in Malachi? It's a symbol of John the Baptist. And it was a picture of perhaps, you know, this is the redemption is coming in full. Psalm 115 to 118 was read, and then the blessing of the fourth cup of wine was taken. Some additional songs were sung, and finally someone would pronounce with great joy, next year in Jerusalem. Next year in Jerusalem. 
Jesus, of course, celebrated this very Passover in this very same way the night he was betrayed. And there is so much meaning for us. One of the most significant aspects of this is that Jesus applied two of the elements of the supper to himself. Leaven is symbolic of sin. You could look at Matthew 16, 11, Mark 8, 15. When Jesus took the bread and broke it at the beginning of the Lord's Supper, the beginning of the Passover meal, you recall what he says. We say it every time we take the communion supper. Jesus took the bread and broke it like they did in every Passover meal and placed it in those pouches. He broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Jesus very significantly is taking one of the most important parts of the Passover meal and saying, this is me. This is my body broken for you. What is the significance of this? Of course, we understand it's to, it's to prefigure his coming death. But also, the crackers contained no leaven. They were unleavened crackers, symbolic of being unstained from sin, which Christ is saying is true of himself. Christ is saying, I am like this unleavened bread, free from any stain, free from any sin. You understand the significance of that? He is the unblemished lamb, of course. He is also symbolically the unleavened bread. He then, of course, applies the cup to himself. Interestingly, it is the third cup of the supper when Jesus says, this is the cup, this is the blood of the new covenant in my blood. Now, do you remember which one of the four blessings the third cup correlates to? It correlates to the third phrase in Exodus 6, verse 6 and 7, which says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. When Jesus takes that cup after supper, let's go over the order one more time because I'm, I'm a little distracted and forgive me for that. Um, but the, the order was this. They had the second cup of wine, then they had the Hillel sandwich, the, the crackers and the herbs together. Many people believe this was the thing that Jesus dipped into the sop and gave to Judas. He gave him the sandwich. It is the one who I will give that will betray me. Then they had the big meal, and of course, according to the, the New Testament, Jesus says, or the, the gospel tells us, after supper, Jesus took the cup. So in the order of the service, it's the Hillel sandwich, the sop, the festive meal, then the third cup which is symbolic of the redemption that would be provided, not only from the Passover lamb, but Christ is saying, this is me. So notice what he's doing. He's pointing out himself as the unleavened bread, the perfect, unblemished lamb, and then he's pointing out the blood, or the wine is symbolic of the blood of, the, of himself that he would shed to redeem us. According to Ephesians 1 verse 7, it says redemption is provided for us through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. The bitter herbs are eaten at the meal to remind those who are celebrating the Passover their physical bondage. Spiritual slavery is so much worse. Second Peter 2.19 and Psalm 107, verse 10 and 11, 
describe this bondage that each of us were in prior to Christ's redemption. Be one thing to spend 400 years with your ancestors building bricks and gathering straw and We've heard much about the slavery of African Americans even in our own nation recently and the horrific nature of that. As bad as those things are, spiritual bondage is far worse. The bondage that we are into our sin, the the slavery, the, the lack of freedom that we have, we are spiritually dead. We need deliverance from that bondage. We need deliverance from the fatal judgment of God, from the death angel passing over us. We, of course, are all, because of our sins, subject to the wrath of God. The Lamb of God is our substitute. What happens when we do not have a substitute, when we do not apply the blood of the Lamb to ourselves in faith? We are judged. It will be a terrible blow. We see on the video, and we see even in our own lives, and perhaps even amongst some of us, the mocking and scoffing that comes when we talk about the deliverance that Christ has provided. What is it that Hebrews says? It is just coming into my mind, and I'm trying to paraphrase, which is bad, but it says, it is such a light thing with you that Christ suffered and died for your sins, and you trample underfoot, as it were, the blood of Christ. As close as Judas was to it, celebrating the Passover meal with the true Lamb of God, he missed the significance of it and is now and forever under the judgment of God. I trust that each one in this room has not missed that and has applied the blood of Christ to their lives through faith. I told you that the Passover meal and the... And the I'm sorry that I haven't been able to express it the way I wanted to today. But I told you that the Passover meal and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were so close to one another that they really became one festival. In our Exodus passage, it tells us that on the first day, that, that the Lord said, this is going to be the first month for you. Um, it's our April. I think it was the month Nisan, not the car, but the month um, that he said, this is going to be the first month, it's priority. And on the 10th day, on the 10th day of the month, you get that lamb and you bring it into your home. And for four days, it lives with you. And on the 14th day, you kill it. Then the 14th day of that month became the first day of unleavened bread. And it went for seven more days after that. The first and eighth day of that unleavened bread, it was like a Sabbath, no work. And they couldn't eat any, unle- they couldn't eat any leavened bread during that festival. And, and the symbolism of this is so exciting to me because we talked uh, a few weeks ago on the Feast of Booths that they celebrated. Not booze, booths. That's a hard word to say. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. And it was a reminder of how the people of Israel gathered in the, or wandered in the wilderness and how they were just looking forward. You know, they thought backward on the hope that Christ would bring and, and now they're looking backwards as they celebrate it. But the Feast of Unleavened Bread actually started on Passover and went for seven days. Leading up to that Feast of Unleavened Bread, the people in the home did a thorough spring cleaning. And specifically, they were looking for anything that would be leavened and they would throw it away. Now, if someone had a bunch of things with leaven in their home to the point where they would, they would uh, endure some sort of, um, some sort of like, uh, financial woe by getting rid of it all, they were permitted to sell that leavened things, those leavened things, to a non-Jewish family and then purchase them back after the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You follow that? So, like, let's say you were, a, I don't know, maybe you were a baker 
and you had to get rid of everything that was leavened. And so you'd, you'd either have to uh, throw it all away, which could do devastation to your business, or you could find a non-Jew, hey, will you keep all this stuff for me, buy it for me, and I'll buy it back after. But the point was you couldn't have any of it in your home for a week. You couldn't eat anything like that for the whole feast of unleavened bread. All food containing leaven removed. This is, as I just explained, the process was called nullification. Nullification. This is important to us. On that first night of the 14th, a candle is lit and a search for leaven is made. It feels like almost like a, some of our Christmas traditions. And if you found any, and usually some was left so that children could find it, it was swept into a wooden spoon with a feather. And the next day, it was burned. The father recited a prayer, and we read it in the passage. We, we read it quickly, but to refer back to it in Exodus 12, anybody who ate unleavened bread was to be cut off. This is uh, verse number 19 and 20 of Exodus chapter 12. Now, if you were away from home, how were you supposed to do this? Let's say you would come to Jerusalem for the festival. You couldn't make sure there was no leaven in your home. This is a very significant thing. You could, you could annul it in your heart. I think that's really interesting. So, Leaven had to be destroyed, either physically, actually physically destroyed, or you had to mentally renounce anything in your home that had leaven in it. We understand that leaven in the Scripture is symbolic of sin, and only the Christ was without blemish or spot. So as the Messiah, Isaiah 53.6, only He could have the iniquity of us all laid on Him. Is there any Christian significance for us with this Feast of Unleavened Bread? You're probably jumping to conclusions already. Let me help you by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Will you turn there, please? 1 Corinthians chapter 5. What is the significance of this? I think this is a beautiful thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is addressing the church about an issue that has been left undealt with. There is a sexual sin in the church, and the people are not uh, disciplining this person. And Paul uses both the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He brings those festivals to bear on his teaching. Okay, Look at chapter 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual, sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. A man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let, this, let what has been done be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Now now we're going to start to hear the Old Testament allusions. Look at this. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the whole old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival. He means the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. I told you they came together as one, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Those who were reading this then, when he come to verse 7, it says, cleanse out the old leaven. 
their minds would run immediately to the festival when the spring cleaning was done and either by physical or mental destruction, you got rid of anything that was leaven. And what Paul is saying is this is what it means that leaven is sin and those of you who are not getting rid of that leaven are as it were violating the festival. You are not, you are not getting rid of the sin that is among you. And God in His sovereignty has given us a type of that back in the festival of unleavened bread. What does it mean? What does it mean? When sin is not dealt with, we are told we must cleanse ourselves. Why? There's a result or reason word in the middle of verse 7. Why are we to do this? For Christ has been sacrificed. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. And if you, I mean, this is, this is really good, and I, I hope it's coming across verse 7. Again, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. Is this true? As Christians, are we unleavened? I told you a minute ago when I took the bread, only Christ is without sin. Only Christ is unleavened. Um, as, he, as he even took that bread and broke it, he said, that's my body, I am unleavened. Can it really be so, as Paul is saying, that Christians are unleavened too? That we are now without sin? Well, he says that's true because Christ has been sacrificed. Listen to this. Because of the sacrifice of Christ, our sin has been removed. At least according to the, to the perception of God, we understand that we are still sinners and we still struggle. But, but the idea that we are unleavened is only true because of what Christ has done. And so then he says... Look at verse 7 again. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. So let's celebrate. Let's cleanse ourselves. Here's, what, here's the bottom line of what he's really saying. Church, because you're not ridding yourself of this sin issue, and we could apply it to ourselves as individuals, if we are harboring some sin issue and not cleansing ourselves, here's what Paul's saying. You are not really acting like who you really are. Your actions are inconsistent with who you are. And so here's, here's a very simple phrase that Paul's saying to them. He's saying, just be what you are. Be what you are. All of us by standing or position are unleavened. Right? By standing or position, we are, we are free from sin. When, Christ sees, when God sees us, He sees Christ. And so He sees the righteousness of Christ. That's how our position never changes. Our practice is up and down. Our practice is we sin, we confess, we sin, we confess. But if we hold on to some sin, then we are not being what we are. In Christ, because Christ, our Passover lamb, was sacrificed, we are righteous. Our actions should reflect that. So here's what's so beautiful about the Passover supper and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We celebrate the Passover, or the Jews would celebrate the Passover, and immediately afterwards, and even during, they're being reminded about the getting rid of leaven or the cleansing of themselves. It was the slaying of the Lamb of God that made us unleavened, so let's live like it. Here's the Christian application. On the basis of the crucifixion of Christ. That's what we celebrate when we celebrate communion. We are remembering his death till he comes. 
on that basis, now we who are God's people should keep the ongoing feast of the celebration of God's forgiveness by our holy living. I want to say that again because maybe it was missed. On the basis of the crucifixion of Christ, right? That's the, this is what he says in verse 7, for Christ, our Passover lamb is sacrificed. On the basis of that, we who are God's people should be celebrating as an ongoing feast, celebrating God's forgiveness. What is the best way to celebrate what God has done? To live a holy life. To live a holy life. And to not allow that leaven. So let us celebrate our life in Christ, not only by celebrating his death for us and his sacrifice, but also removing the leaven and living in sincerity and truth. That's what he says at the end of verse 8. We have become children of God by his grace. We celebrate the expression of that in continual holy living. There's no, there's no accident in the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread uh, coming together as one because the death of Christ and his sacrifice for us changes us and causes us to have this new desire to be clean and holy before him. But it can only happen Imagine, you know, a lot of people are trying to, I mean, I'm, I'm using this symbolically, but a lot of people are trying to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread without understanding that Christ has made that possible. Right? They're, tr- they're trying to live a, a good life and be a good person, not realizing that the only reason it's possible is, is if Christ has already paid the sin penalty for us. So as we celebrate the death of Christ today, let's also reflect on ways that sin needs to be cleansed from our own life so we can celebrate the, the perfect cleansing that Christ provides and then the ongoing cleansing that we need. There is a Christian who at least is not sensitive to that sin and confessing it. No one's expecting perfection. But if we allow that to continue in our life, it proves that we do not understand what we really are. And that's why the 1 Corinthians 5 passage goes so well. And Paul's actually pointing their attention to the Passover say, hey, Christ has died so you could be unleavened. Why are you continuing to live in this leavened lifestyle? As we come to the Lord's Supper today, let's remember those things.